in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The end of the chapter there, beginning of verses 12 through 17. In this area, I call it uh, disheartened restoration. I know that none of us in this room have ever been disheartened or discouraged. But if you ever happen to be, I highly recommend this text. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. We will pray and then read the word of the Lord. Father, we come now to hear from you, not from a man, not from a speaker, but your spirit through your scripture, helping the hearts of your people. Father, I ask that you give us ears to hear. Father, souls sensitive to what you're saying, that we may walk understanding the privilege of this high calling. Father, help us. These frail earthen vessels with a precious treasure inside. Father, help us be good stewards of that treasure, protectors of that treasure. And yet, Father, when the days and the moments and the times roll over us in discouragement and disheartenment, we may bow as Paul and say, thanks be to God. Thank you, Lord. To your glory and praise. Amen. Verse 12, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death, and to the other, an aroma of life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Paul is sharing here to the Corinthians that he had at a time of what was going on in his ministry was extraordinarily discouraged. And if you think about it, he had spent three years in Ephesus And he had left Corinth because there was a door open with many adversaries in Ephesus. And in three years of preaching and teaching day in and day out, it concluded with a riot. He had left Corinth where he had been for 18 months. And when he had gotten to Ephesus, he had found out that they had just basically fallen flat on their face and had become so egotistical that they were perverting the Lord's table. They were perverting 
spiritual gifts. They were perverting the relationship, the covenant of marriage, and, and it be, had become this big game. And there were schisms in the church. You know, people saying, you know, I want some place of authority. I want some stage lights. You know, uh, everybody seemed to have it in their mind they wanted a speaking gift. Because, you know, those are the most important gifts. If you don't believe me, go to the church today. Nothing has changed. But what happens then is then, then I am of Paul. You know, that, that's who I learned under. And then some would say, but I am of Apollos because Apollos took Paul's place. And, you know, that was just the foundation. Now we're really building. And then some people would just say, I'm of Peter. Why? Peter walked on water. And then those who were the truly humble ones would just stand before the people and say, I am of Christ. And it was causing these schisms, these divisions, this animosity among the believers to where the world would look at it and say, what's the difference between that and Parliament? You know, years and years ago, I shared this with you. Um, I was always of the mindset that said, doctrine divides. And as I have uh, pressed on for these few years, many years sometimes, I realized that actually doctrine unites. But what has happened is man's ego raises up. And why would I reason with someone from the scriptures? I just know what. I believe. And you watch the conflict. You know, we, we made a, uh, I was at that meeting on Thursday. And there was uh, four churches represented there. And uh, Raul made a comment. He says, I would give anything if the churches would work together for a common cause. And he kind of laid his head down like this. And he looked back up and he says, but that ain't happened until Christ shows up. And I said, no, it has happened. And they all just about fell out of their chairs. What do you mean? I said, yeah, we work with 10 churches, all different, quote unquote, denominations in Russia and have bore fruit that is beyond my understanding. And they said, well, how did you do it? We all believe the Bible. Period. And the doors that have been opened for us are those groups of people who said, just give us the Bible. I ran into a man this week, or last week. I don't remember when it was. Anyway. And um, I'd been doing some work on his motorcycle. And uh, he asked me, oh, I'd, he wanted to borrow my trailer. He's going up to the rally and... He says, can I borrow your trailer? And I said, yeah. I said, I ain't using it. So, yeah, I'll take it over to you. So I pull in there with my trailer, and he comes cruising out. And I've done a lot of work for him. I sold him some parts and stuff like that. And uh, he's, a, he's a nice guy. He's a funny guy. But anyway, uh, he probably says the same thing about me. And he comes bopping out of his, his office, and he says, I didn't know you were a minister. <laughs> and I was like, well, you didn't ask me. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's just not something you just go do. Hey, are you a minister? Uh, and I said, no, you didn't ask me. And then he told me how he had found out that I was incognito. And he said, you know what? I'm an infant in Christ. The guy's about my age. He says, I'm an infant in Christ. He says, I bet I've been to two dozen churches. 
He says, I just want somebody to teach me the Bible. And then after he picked me up off the ground, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> what planet did you fall off of? Okay, hey, you want to use my motorcycle too? <laughs> I never knew that my trailer would be an evangelistic tool. But anyway, some people hand out tracks. I hand out trailers. Um, but, and I look at that, and I take great privilege that the fact is, because he, he made the comment, he says, you know, I've watched you in action. I've seen you around for a long time. He says, I have never heard you cuss. I said, well, don't ever kid yourself, <laughs> you know, that I don't know this. He said, but he said, I've seen you pinch your finger. I've seen you arc a battery, and you never said a word. I said, what, my battery? <laughs> it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> but see, what it was is he was watching something. He didn't even know what he was watching. And I, you know, I know what it is. It's Christ. I know who I am. Anything anybody sees good in me is one person and one person only, and it ain't me. All right, that's the thing that you and I have to understand. When you pull yourselves into people, let me tell you something. I will guarantee you, I'll give it to you in writing. You will be discouraged. You will be discouraged. The Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, he poured himself into wherever he was. Here it says, you know what? A door was opened for me in Christ. The gospel. Now, let me tell you something. You're telling me the Apostle Paul doesn't know what an open door is nor what the gospel's for? Really? I would really suggest that you read more of your Bible. That was his passion. That was his... And the thing is, it was never deterred. And yet, he had a moment, he had a time when he had put 18 months with these people in Corinth just to see it become this awful, awful mess. To the point where they were going to discredit the founder of that church and say, you just can't trust him. If you can't trust him, how do you trust his message? And then he had moved from there and he had gotten this information and it broke his heart. It crushed him. And here he is in Ephesus and he's been there for three years and it just blows up into a riot. Sign me up for the ministry. He goes to Troas. I believe that's where he ended up because of the riot. He was waiting for Titus to come back around up through. uh, Titus would have gone to Corinth, back through Athens, up to Berea, over Thessalonica, Philippi, and then down to Troas. Okay, he basically would have circled the Aegean Sea. And he knew his course. And when he got to Troas, Titus wasn't there. And he wasn't even sure. He'd already written what was called the severe letter. We don't have that one, so you know it was a dandy. You can read 1 Corinthians and just in a cursory read, you read it and think, yee, how'd you like to stand up in front of the church and say, we have a letter from Paul, the founder of our church, and I would like to read this to you. Yee. Here, you read it. <laughs> and he, he, he has to be at his wit's end. He said he had no rest in his spirit. Took leave of them. Took leave of them means he left the church, an infant church, a group of people who believed in the message that he had given them. And others who said, 
give me more. Give me more. It's kind of like when Jim said, you know, I just want a church that's teaching the Bible. Well, that'd be an interesting concept, wouldn't it? How did he change? Verse 14 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Thanks be to God. Just that, boom, just like that. How did he do that? I know I've had some bouts of discouragement. I know you guys haven't, but I did because, you know, I kept waiting for the shade to catch up with us yesterday and it couldn't, and I was just discouraged. Okay? How do you move from having that great a heartache in what you're seeing in people's lives to thanks be to God? How do you do that? And Paul could stop, look at where he was, and, and it would it, break your heart. But then he would start thinking about the privileges that he has, that you and I have. One we looked at last week was the, the privilege of being led by a sovereign God. The word triumph there, I believe he has in his mind this great celebration, this great victorious parade that the Romans used to do. When a general completely vanquish an opponent for the expansion of the kingdom and his victory was so solid that there was no need for a Roman garrison to be there anymore. They would have these massive parades. And I believe that's what's on Paul's mind when he writes this letter, when this section comes to his mind. He says, you know what? No matter what, I thank God that I'm in God's victorious parade. It was his sovereignty that did this. It was his power that did this. It was his purpose that did this. It was his exaltation that we are here. He has given me a privilege just to march in the parade. And there's times that I guarantee that each of us will back away from a situation, a heartache, a discouragement, and we will forget the privilege of being led by God. We don't even think about it. The things around us are just so overwhelming. And you will hear these great faithful words. Well, you just don't understand. <laughs> Dude, I'm in the parade. <laughs> I don't care if I have to go behind the horses and pick up the poo. I'm still in this parade. All right. I mean, I could be in the other part of the parade where you're like, this is going to end ugly. But I'm not. I'm in the victory side of it. What I want to look at today is the privilege of promised victory. Look what he says here. He leads us in triumph in Christ. Okay, now, if I take triumph and I take it back to a small t, there is victory, and where is it? That would be the in Christ side. In Christ, I am victorious. You know what is amazing about that? It doesn't say in us we are victorious. It says, in Christ, I am victorious. See, not only do I have the privilege of being associated with Jesus Christ under the sovereign leadership of God the Father, but I have the privilege of the promise of victory in Christ Jesus. 
You know what I really like about that? That little bitty word right there who says always. <laughs> I like that word. You know what's nice about that word? It doesn't say most of the time. It doesn't say some of the time. Or it doesn't say eventually. It says always. When I'm in Christ, I am always victorious. Did you get that? Dude, you better hang on to that. This is a strange time in the body of Christ in this country. And yet, regardless of how strange it is, we are always victorious in Christ. It's just like talking to the guy on Thursday. You know, I think about it and he says, you know, we're not here to try to stop abortion because uh, that movement can become an idol. He says, we are here for the person of Christ and everything we do is for the person of Christ. Do you realize what I just said? Everything we do, we're going to get out and hang up some gutters. Well, that ought to have an evangelistic event in it. Only if you fall off the ladder. <laughs> but we do it for Christ. And we must be victorious. Nobody fell off the ladder yesterday. Today's not done. Okay? You know, um, I have been victorious in Christ. I've had this little problem with squirrels here at the church. They ate a hole in my fascia. And they think living above my office is the perfect habitat. Okay, so I have these uh, live traps and I had brought back a whole bunch of hickory nuts from uh, when I visited my mom. And I throw a handful of nuts in that trap and, and boom, catch a squirrel and haul it. I used to haul them over to Al Barris house, but now I haul them uh, down to that park. It's uh, where the Maytag place is, the Maytag estate. Road that goes up, there's a park up there, and I fire them out of it. I call it shooting squirrels. You know, that thing, boom, there, and they take off running, buddy, and it's just kind of a blast for me. Um, I was thinking about it. How many had I caught? 44. Okay? So, needless to say, I was having taken it personally. Okay? Over the last couple of weeks, there was this one little one that was out there. And he gets up, and you can ask Stephanie about this. He'd get up and run up and down my windowsill and stick his head up on my window and go, hmm, he ain't caught me. And then he'd run up on the side of the wall and around and around and around. And I'm thinking, it's against the law to shoot a gun in Castle Rock. Is it against <laughs> shoot a gun in Castle Rock? But I, I had, I got on my knees and I said, Lord, we're getting ready to put gutters on the building. I got to get that squirrel out of there. I do not want a dead squirrel and his, the fragrance in the attic over my office. <laughs> if, if he's in the auditorium, that's fine. <laughs> my office. And uh, that's when the roofers came in. And the squirrel could stand the traps and harassing me. He could not stand the roofers. Okay? And he's gone. And everybody said, well, how do you know he's gone? There was cobwebs in his hole. Okay? And I'm thinking he ain't getting through there with cobwebs. And I just got out and had to do my hallelujah chorus. Because in Christ, the little bugger's living over at Karen's house. Why, there's victory. Listen, 
we are always marching in this victorious parade under the sovereign leadership of God who only spoke existence into being. He always leads us in triumph. Always. We are always marching in this magnificent parade. Always. We can, do you understand that in Christ, we can never lose? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. In Christ, you can never lose. Because he's always leading. We follow the conquering hero. We are in the victory parade of he who overcame. He, do you understand that he only overcame the grave? Do we really grab that? He only overcame sin. He only overcame death. He only overcame hell. That's all. We are not in this parade as captives. We are not prisoners. We're not headed to judgment. But we are conquerors in the great triumph over sin, over death, over hell. You can grab a hold of that. Do you realize how arrogant it is to think that I can mold you into sinlessness? Really? And yet Christ has. You know what? And Paul just says there and says, you know, it's just wonderful to be a part of the triumphal parade. <laughs> And you think about all this stuff. Do you think about the weeks you guys had this week? I'm sure that it all went absolutely smoothly. Everything you planned was just perfect to the T's. You had no stress in your life. Nothing to worry about. Nothing happened this week. You know, it was just like... Everything I planned was absolutely perfect. No one this whole week annoyed me. No one tried to pick a fight with me. And everything was wondrous, right? Now, if you didn't have that week, I'm going to ask you a simple question. Why weren't you focused on walking in the victory parade? Sovereign God led me and in Christ, I have victory in everything. Listen, brothers and sisters, I want to be as frank with this as I can be. Even if you only bear one goofy raisin. Okay. Okay. You're still victorious. You will bear fruit if you are in Christ. It may be a goofy little berry, but you still have victory. It's wonderful just to be associated with the victory. I'm just associated with Christ. Do you understand that? I'm associated with Christ. Who overcame the grave? Who overcame sin? Oh, did I tell you that he defeated hell? You know, it's funny because we always got in our mind that Satan runs hell. Uh Uh-uh, Christ does. Satan just ends up there with them. 
Do you see what I'm trying to get at? You've got to get a hold of this. If you want to overcome being disheartened, if you want to overcome being discouraged, if you want to overcome what they throw at you at a moment by moment by moment by moment by moment basis, you have got to focus on the fact that you are always led by God to victory in Christ. I'd give anything if I could make people understand that. Jesus is a conqueror. We are in Him. In Him we are more than conquerors. It literally means mega conquerors. What does that mean? Nothing stops us. He came into the world to conquer sin, death, and hell. And He says, I'm here about my Father's work. Guess what? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Today you will be with me in paradise and we triumphantly walk in that victory. We will march with the redeemed troops and we will only spend our time in eternal glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. You and I will be with Him as those who have been in the battle. I don't care if you were the greatest saint that ever walked the planet or you were the guy who raised that one little raisin. Still the same parade. Still the same victor. Still the same conqueror. Do you understand? Have you ever thought about this? The thief on the cross. Okay? Truly this is the Son of God. Jesus looks at him and says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Boom! They die. That wasn't what you'd call an elongated evangelistic life. All right? Now, no, don't get me wrong. Suffering on crucifixion, is not, I'm not signing up for that one. But his life to get into heaven was a few hours. Henry Puyontek died at 86 years old. And when he died up at the VA hospital... He was still sharing the gospel with all of those poor vets who are suffering through awful illnesses. He never stopped. And I had the privilege of reading to him his last... I read the book of Psalms to him. And when I finished the book of Psalms, he died. This man was a survivor of the Bataan Death March. And he memorized the book of Psalms on that march because he knew that they would take his Bible from him. And to the day that he stopped attending here, if I quoted a psalm, he would tell you the chapter. I can't do that now. I didn't walk through the tan either. Henry had an impact. I know people like that. I remember hanging with Dr. Stephen Olford, who preached on every continent on the planet except for Antarctica. And I told him what penguins don't need to be saved. But uh, um, he always preached the same gospel, whether it was Africa or China or Japan or wherever, Europe. It didn't matter. He never changed his message, and it never moved. And I cannot... He had a kid one time who was working for Youth for Christ and he went and heard him. He said he was a powerful speaker, but it was obvious he was clueless about the person of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit worked because they'd already told him that if you're going to speak to young people, 
15 minutes is it. Okay, because young people are, you know, young people. They, they distract easy. All right, so he took him down into the Welsh Highlands. They were doing the revivals in England. Took him down into the Welsh Highlands and he spent a week and they prayed and they fasted and, and, and he showed him biblically, here's the person of the Holy Spirit. What this amazing spirit will do and you bow to the spirit, let the spirit be through you. You're just a conduit to the spirit. And once you understand that, it'll be amazing what you will do. The guy was broken and began weeping. And he says, I'd have to do it that way. God has called it that way. He went back up to Wembley Stadium. Big youth rally. About 75, 80,000 kids, teenagers. Preached for an hour and a half. And he said, you literally could watch the Spirit of God move across the stadium and people before he even had a call to repentance. People were weeping in their seats. Teenagers. Anytime that guy would preach at a revival or a crusade or anything like that you want to call it, if Dr. Olford was close to this guy, he would ask him, come and pray for the message and those who will hear. And Dr. Olford would show up just like that. Now, a lot of people in this room don't know who Stephen Olford is. But that kid I was telling you about, you know who he was. Billy Graham. Okay. Some of us have a great mass of harvest that you can't even comprehend. And you know why they have that? Neither do they. And some of us get a great. In my case, I get raisins. We should understand and we should look and live our lives as we have been swept up in the victory parade. We have been swept up in the glory of Jesus Christ. See, the issue that I think you and I struggle with, it is not how many fruits we have bore. It's not how many people did I hand out tracts to or how many people did I see come to salvation. The issue is the triumphant parade of Christ. See, the triumphant soldiers brings up the spoils of war in this great parade. Those spoils of this war are the only thing on this planet that are eternal. And that is souls. Souls. That was hard for me. I'm not a people person. I, I think the monks got it right. But the problem is the Bible would say, you don't keep down that road. And it is about the people. We are in a parade of men and women chosen from eternity past. We have been gathered out of time. We have been led out of Satan's kingdom. We are now in the kingdom of God. We are in the kingdom of Christ. We are in the kingdom of light. We no longer look at darkness. And here comes these great souls around us, behind us, in front of us who have fought in the battle. Christ Jesus wins every time. 
we win every time. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my collection of the called out ones. And the abode of the dead, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell cannot stop it. I remember a guy coming up to me one time. He says, you've got Castle Rock Baptist Church out there on your wall. And I said, yeah. He says, uh, if you take Baptist out of your name, your church would grow. <laughs> That's cool. Gates of hell can't stop it, but Baptist can. Well, I mean, there may be more truth to that than I want to think. But anyway. <laughs> if you're with him in his church, and you're with him in his church building plan, you are part of the triumph. You're already in it, cruising through the parade. You don't have to win every little struggle. You don't have to win every little skirmish. It's just enough to know that we'll triumph in the end. That ought to be enough for you to always just, regardless of what is happening in your life, to look to heaven and smile real big and say, thanks be to God who leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. It's enough to know that we will be there just part of the marching army. See, that's what Paul did. It reminded him that the day when the kingdom of this earth becomes the kingdom of the Lord Christ Jesus, we should all be standing around going, wow. <laughs> People talk to me about the second coming of Christ and, and, and you listen to them and then you watch them and you hear them and you think, here they are all geared up for the second coming of Christ and they're clueless right now. Well, you know, what signs are you looking for? And I just look at him. I said, do you understand? You're a heartbeat away. You're a heartbeat away. You see Christ just like that. Just like that. I was first moved to Colorado. I was into mountain climbing and a kid that I knew was 24 years old. This guy ran marathons. I mean, before I even knew what a marathon was, he did that. And what's that thing where you bike and swim and all that goofy things? I... Dude, I wouldn't even do that if a bear was chasing me. I'd let him eat me. <laughs> it would be less painful. Okay? But we would train for mountain climb. And we were going to do a big climb. And I would train for about three and a half, four months before each big climb. And then I would live like an idiot until we had another climb. This guy ran marathons every day. I mean, this guy, he ran every day and lifted weights and all the rest of it. One day, he worked for the Aurora Fire Department. One day, he got up 24 years old, all right? Got his whole life in front of him. Gets up, takes off running, gets about half a mile away from the firehouse, falls over dead with a massive heart attack. Race is over. You know, people try to get me, well, you need to eat healthier this and healthier that. You know what? I'm 54 years old. It ain't working bad for me. And you start putting a bunch of good food into me right now, you'll kill me. My body would say, you ain't nuts. But I watched people put a lot of energy into some of this stuff. And I thought, but what about this parade that we're in? My doctor, I drive him nuts. I said, Doc, how come you keep thinking I should live forever? Well, but if you don't this, and then they throw that silly thing. What about the quality of your life? <laughs> Dude, I'm already in the victory parade. What more quality do I need? Well, do you want a bunch of people have to take care of you? It'll humble them. 
this isn't complicated, people. I really wish that everybody would step back and say, do you realize being in the kingdom of God and its privileges? Paul remembers a third reason. And it is the privilege of influencing for Christ. And we'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and to your praise, let us walk worthy of the amazement of the triumph in Christ. Father, may we be overwhelmed by what you have done and the privilege of just being identified as a child of Jesus Christ. Father, help me grasp this more with every breath you grace me. And Father, until that time, may I bow my knee before your throne in absolute humility with a thankful heart that I am just in your parade. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've shown me with my brother Paul. And Father, may these precious souls rejoice that they are in the kingdom of heaven and they are in the triumphal parade of he who overcame sin, death, and hell. And that, Father, you are building your church and absolutely nothing can stop it. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.